Welcome to Lumina, a podcast from Afters, the Australian film, television and radio school. If you picture some of Australia's best-known cultural sites, the Sydney Opera House and the Harbour Bridge are two of the most iconic. And that is where I am today. But there are a multitude of cultural sites in this country that we may never have the chance to visit, let alone know their stories. Hi, I'm Penella. Penella, I'm Hi, Hi, nice, nice to meet you. you. How are you? Michaela Jade is out to change this. She's a Cabrigal woman of the Darug Nation and is the CEO and founder of the AR company in digital, that's augmented reality. And I managed to meet up with her by the harbour while she was showing some of her friends around Sydney. I was keen to test out the InDigital app with her. So I've got the app up, it's got, you know, you've got your cool logo. Yeah. And it currently says scanning. Yes. And so... That means I'm looking for the artwork. Okay, so So. the artwork's in front of me. So you point the app at a location, one of the sites that she's been working with, and then using augmented and mixed reality, these stories are brought to life through animation. If you're not near one of these cultural sites, you can point it at an artwork instead. Michaela's had them printed on T-shirts and postcards. So you put your phone over the artwork and then it comes, like you'll see this thing pop up and it'll be the story in 3D. In this case, the animation that appears on my phone is the story of Namunday. He's slow moving and he's very elegant. This rock painting come to life, bending across a 3D landscape. Namunday are beings that live in the Kakadu landscape. So they're stone country beings and Binning can see them. And when they see them, they're 11 foot high and they have really big red eyes and these massive long claws and they carry a dilly bag around their neck. And they're not like good or bad, but they keep the stone country story safe. So if you do the wrong thing on stone country, they use those big claws to rip out your kidneys and liver and they pop them in a dilly bag later so really quite creepy and scary the custodian of the Namunday story is Neville Namanyuk and he had a really clear vision of what the story should look like in augmented reality he wanted a way to share with his younger kids what Namunday were all about I really like that in 90 seconds you can understand, you know, Namundea, they're not fast moving, they're slow moving and they really like look at you and yeah, I like the way that he brought it to life because it's so much more than what you see on the, the rock art. Michaela didn't have a tech background when she started telling stories this way. She was a park ranger from the time she was 18 and it was her job to develop the narrative that visitors were told when they came to protected areas. Then she had an idea. My vision was to use augmented reality to tell Indigenous stories. So the stories could be experienced on the land they came from. On my country, we've got a lot of petroglyphs, but we've got no information about who the petroglyph was from or what what story it's sharing. And where we did have signs, it was told from an anthropologist or someone that's not really connected to the country in a cultural way. So that was that side of it. The stories Michaela tells using augmented reality can be tens of thousands of years old. It was important to her that these ancient stories be preserved in the digital age and find a home where they could be accessed by anyone. And that's why the app works without an internet connection, so that even if you're in the depths of the Kimberley, it still works. You can be anywhere and see paintings, dance and sing, stories unfold and ancient beings interact with the landscape. And she's not just using AR to change how these stories are told and how people experience them, but how ownership of these stories can be preserved. 
you know, the access controlled by the people who tell them and how they can be passed along to another generation. And also who profits from their telling to people outside their own culture. Well, our people have been giving away our stories for a long time with no economic return. Maybe this is a way that we could also profit from our cultural knowledge systems that we've been holding for at least 80,000 years. So. I'm Fenella Kernerbone, and you're listening to the first episode of Lumina, a podcast for storytellers. Over the next eight episodes, I'm going to investigate how technology is reshaping the way that we share and tell stories. Since the first time someone told a story around a campfire, since the story of Namunday was first told in Kakadu, a lot has changed about how we tell stories to one another. The written word put our histories on the page, conserving the stories that couldn't be passed on orally. Theatre took those stories and breathed new life into them, cultivating audiences in large spaces for a communal experience. Versions of the printing press across West Europe and East Asia propelled stories into mass production, leading to printed books, newspapers and records. Radio transmission made our stories instantaneous. Cameras brought them to life before our eyes. Smartphones put them in our pockets. Throughout history, each technological change to storytelling brought with it doubt and uncertainty. Socrates allegedly believed that the written word would make stories resistant to change and growth. Newspapers feared radio would be their end, TV would kill radio, and so on. Yet the sharing of stories is the most prolific it's ever been. So what comes next? And how can we push storytelling in new directions and defeat that doubt and uncertainty? So doubt is a much maligned concept. It's something which we use to prevent us rather than enabling us. And yet in almost all forms of human knowledge and, and creativity, doubt is present. It's kind of a driving force. It pushes us forward. If there's one person who knows something about story, it's T. Uglow. She's the creative director at Google's Creative Lab in Sydney. And I work with uh, culture and technology and how we can use digital to, to kind of augment traditional cultural experiences. Like Michaela, T. marries the old and the new. She takes developers with a tech background and puts them in the same room with creative storytellers to see what new ground they can break with exciting and unexpected results. For me, the projects are most successful when people are like, so you're doing what? Why? why? <laughs> and it's like, well, I think this will make more sense in a few years' time. Like books that can't be printed, theatre that spills off the stage and onto social media, or even this cube that T produced with her team that allows people to tell interactive stories. At any stage in human evolution, there's been a form of storytelling, so it stands to reason there always will be. Whilst many things that we do might fade away, one of the things that we will always do is tell stories to one another. So how we do it doesn't seem to me to be the important part. I don't think that a 30-minute film segment is necessarily kind of like a default or a staple of how we tell stories. I don't think that a kind of paginal narrative in a 250-page book is a default. But what is true is we have always told stories, and we always will. What I want to know is, what is the future of storytelling? Because our storytelling culture is currently very linear. We have a default way of telling stories on the page or on the screen. So yeah, like books, which have been around for hundreds of years. That technology that emerged in the 15th and 16th centuries became so dominant that we're still using that technology. And everything about the form, everything we do when we're making a book, starts with this 
absolute given that the book will have pages and it will start on page one and then you'll read through and you'll get to the end. And that's, that's the linear form of it. So it's really fascinating when you have technology to realize that you can begin to disrupt those forms, that the content doesn't need to change, but the actual medium can change. So what we call a book could become an unrecognisable thing. If we have the imagination to reinvent it and a willingness to challenge it. E-readers are a classic example of accepting a, a norm, accepting a normative kind of definition of what something is and then translating that into technology. So you look at a Kindle and it literally is like a book. And we've done everything we can to make it feel like a book. And we've done none of the things that digital allows us to do. But it doesn't relate to where you are. It doesn't allow authors to write for different audiences. It doesn't allow for a sense of time or space. It doesn't allow for all of the things that, that the fact that this is digital and not fixed can afford. And, and so writers can't begin to think about that. Okay, so I just read on my phone last night a book by Kate Pullinger, and, and this, again, it plays with the form. It's not, a, I mean, you know, the other day I read a book where I opened up literally a piece of paper, like, you know, i.e. a traditional book and 10 mm-hmm. pages. This does something quite quite different. Can you, can you explain what happens when we read this book? Well, this book asks for some information about where you are, and then it uses the fact that the phone or your book knows where you are and knows who you are, and it has a camera. So it can begin to bring in elements of your surroundings. And because it's a ghost story, that makes the ghost story just that little bit, I hope, creepier and more spine-tingling. So T did it herself. She had an idea about the power of ownership. What does it mean to own a story? So she wrote a book that puts ownership above narrative. Because we wanted to do this really brutal thing to the book, which was that for everyone who owned it, we wanted them to take away two words on every page and add one word so that over the course of it being owned, it would disintegrate into nothing. We didn't feel this was a fair thing to do to a a legitimate author, so I wrote that. It's Um, called A Universe Explodes. And the text is fine, whatever. But it's very much a concept book. It's about the idea that you can use blockchain to create editions of a non-tangible object, just the way in the real world we would have physical objects. And blockchain allows us to have very fixed versions of a, a book. So there are 100 editions of this book, and they're owned by different people. And you can see the provenance of those books. And because each person is making changes, each book becomes completely unique very, very quickly. And through transference, it decays and falls apart, just like any book would. If we're in the storytelling business, not just books, but radio, film, TV, it's about blowing apart the expectations of how we should tell stories and coming at it another way entirely. You know, technology offers us a chance to tell stories from multiple perspectives on multiple timelines all at once. For stories to be explored and experienced rather than simply consumed from beginning to end. A new 360 degree kind of story. It's really challenging to write it. But it's not challenging to think about it when you think about our lives, when you think about being at a dinner party. And if you were the only person who hadn't been at the party the the night before, you would probably get a four or five dimensional version of that night from all of the different people who would be contributing all of the stories that they want to tell you, probably on top of each other, without any kind of linear continuity. There's no way anyone would say, well, let's start at 7pm. At 7pm, this is what happened. Everyone would just pour in and then the stories would go off and come back and loop round and you would hear all of these different personalities. Now you could write that down, but it would be very hard to experience 
you'd have to make changes to make it into a traditional book. Mm. Whereas actually with digital, you can allow a certain affordance of interaction. Telling stories this way will transform all sorts of traditional mediums. For now, the screen dominates, but it's what comes next that makes T excited. Michaela's in digital app or T's book, A Universe Explodes, they're asking something from you as you're experiencing the story, something more than just to be passive viewers. I'm very interested in this idea of sound and, and location in space. And I'm very interested in what happens when we're not looking at a screen. So for the last few years, everyone's been very interested in VR. And I'm much more interested in AR, augmented reality. And augmented reality works by allowing things to exist to layer over the world. And again, people think that it's through a screen and that's because we've got very obsessed with this getting information through a visual form. So I'm much more interested in what happens when you take the screen away, but you allow the, the, the digital object to still exist in space and how we interact with things that exist in space in a kind of magical way. So it's as dumb as strapping a phone to the back of your head and sort of we're like layering up on headphones so we've got like headphones that go around your neck and headphones that are bone conductors and all of them allow for different types of sound to hit your ears in different ways and we don't really want to put headphones on because that restricts things and then because the phone's on the back of the head we know which way your head is pointing so we know what you're looking at and if we know what you're looking at we can make the thing that you're looking at do something or make a sound so we did a theatre project where you could hear the actors inner monologues so there weren't really any words but there was an inner monologue and because there's not any words that we had three different plays basically going on on the same stage and it was who you were looking at that you heard so you get a certain agency over and you can imagine that in a dinner party conversation would be really interesting if you, so you can choose what you're listening to yeah you can choose time. who you're listening to mm. and and what and you're making those kind of narrative decisions mm. i know and, and, and i think about this and i go that sounds like a very complicated storytelling experience if i was an audience member or, or a passive you know yeah. viewer but actually what it's saying is is that the blurring between who is audience and who is performing is getting bigger yeah. And it's this blurring between the audience and the performance that interests Michaela Jade as well, and where technology comes into play, offering a chance to augment the real world, to add stories to your experience, to play with time, space and interact. They came across roads where everyone was going VR, VR, VR. And I was like, no, I still think AR's the way I want to go because for me, like, I think virtual reality is really important if you can't be on country and allows you to fully immerse yourself in a digital environment away from there. But my vision was to be able to do this on country and still be present with the site. And that's why I liked augmented reality because I can still be there. I can still see the rock art. I'm still present at the site. But I get that extra layer of informational dialogue, which is why I love mixed reality even more because you don't have to do it through a phone now. You just put it on your head and there it is and you're still in the real world and interacting with others. What I'm thinking is we use a mixed reality capture studio to um, record hours and hours and hours of our traditional language speakers in a hologram format and then we embed artificial intelligence machine learning into that hologram. So I can then put on a HoloLens and I can interact with this hologram of my elder who's teaching me language. Right now I'm learning Dorog, which is our language. Oh, it's so hard. I'm trying to read these words and I don't know what the intonations are. And I could say to the hologram, oh, what's the word for country auntie? And she can say Nora. T and Michaela both talk about screens like they're a temporary state of play. They're just this tiny stepping stone between the defaults that we are used to and the future that's more interactive, more full of mixed reality. T's creative team at Google 
are getting ready for this shift. They're trying things that make, well, make no sense until they do. So as we speak more and more to our computers, as we humanise that, that relationship, and as we begin to understand that information can exist around us, not just on a screen, which it does in reality, there's no reason why that digital information can't exist in a similar way. Um, it's just the user interface that we don't understand and we can't even imagine in our heads. We have always told stories using voice and gesture. That's where we started and that's where we end. That's how we communicate. The, the fact that we've gone through this interface of using other computers and machines, and we've even adopted the language of other older technologies like web pages and trash cans. So we will always adopt what has come before, but we're basically moving back in a circle towards the idea of just that we know that the easiest way to communicate is to speak and to gesture. So we will speak and gesture to our machines eventually. Are we ready for these new forms of storytelling, the more interactive, mixed reality, non-linear, got to be doing everything brave new world? I mean, yeah, sometimes I admit I just want to sit back and enjoy something. I don't actually want to be too involved. I do want to be a passive viewer. But the fact is, T says that we're already consuming stories this way all the time without even realising it. We're hungry for it. And this is obvious in the way that we're consuming one of the biggest stories in the Western sphere today. I think one of the most interesting things about the Trump presidency has been how people have followed this narrative. It's often compared to a soap opera. The degree to which people have different depths of understanding of it and follow it in different forms and follow it from different perspectives and can have like these extraordinarily different perspectives. And yet that's real life. So if you go back to kind of the, the conventions of the novel or the conventions of documentary or the conventions of film and you say, actually, we, we are definitely capable... <laughs> The most compelling story of the last, probably of the last decade, has come not from any of our art forms, which are rather restricted and linear, but has come from real life and has been expressed almost entirely through these kind of much more chaotic channels. Michaela Jade has found that even the custodians of some of the oldest stories in the world are ready to tell them in new ways. Neville Namanyuk worked closely with her on the Naman Day animation for the Indigital Augmented Reality app. He created the designs before they were then transferred into mixed reality. That part of the process Michaela did separately, far from Kakadu, back home in Canberra. So he hadn't had a chance to see the, the HoloLens version and he came down a couple of months ago and I put on his head and I was so nervous to see what he would think. And he was just silent when he was looking at the content through the mixed reality headset. And then he took it off and he put it on his legs. And I was like, oh God, he doesn't like it. And then he goes, that is gamak. That is amazing. <laughs> and I said, well, what did you think about being able to make Numman Day 11 feet now? Because you can't scale it on the app, but you can scale it in mixed reality. So he can be 11 foot now. And he said, He's creepy, but he's supposed to be. So I was like, yes, we, have, we achieved what Neville wanted to see um, in the new format as well. In this season of Lumina, you'll hear from all kinds of storytellers looking to the future and preparing for what comes next. Filmmakers, podcasters, musicians, screenwriters, people telling stories on Instagram, on streaming services, creatives using smart speakers, big data, drones and games to tell stories in ways that we haven't dreamed of yet. 
how these people are all using tech to forge human connection. They'll form our Brains Trust, a collection of wise craftspeople that we can call on when we need. You have been listening to Lumina, a podcast from Afters, Australia's national screen and broadcast school, dedicated to finding, developing and supporting Australian storytelling talents. Lumina is produced for Afters by Audiocraft with Selena Shannon and Jessa Callahan. Our sound engineer is Ryan Pemberton and executive producer is Kate Montague. I'm Fenella Kernerbone, and to hear more of these episodes, subscribe in your favourite podcast app. You have been listening to Lumina, a podcast from Afters. Mm.